0: Is is a temple that my body is this amazing vessel that carries me through this life, Mm -hmm. and that um, also as an able bodied person, like Mm. you know, that's that's some privilege that I am still learning to unpack. But um, I'm so grateful for the things that my body is able to do.
1: Yeah, hey, everybody, this is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know you needed, you didn't know existed, but we're so glad you're here. And this episode has just already started with so many, so much great info. That's just like I just have to pause. So just let her introduce herself. But yes, this is Yates. Yates, please welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you for just sharing yourself. And you were just talking about your body and who you are. And so tell my listeners just a little bit of more of where you're from and how you were able to get to who this Yates is now.
0: Okay, hi, my name is Yates, I'm 26 years old, I'm a queer feminist translator, I'm a fat woman, and I live in Puerto Rico. I
1: think it's very beautiful to hear your story, and um, see, this is why we shouldn't be scared to embrace ourselves, you know? And I think that's like the beauty of this generation, the beauty of coming of age right now, right? Because... There's so many ways that we can explore and tap, tap into different um, identities, right? And, like, who really can question and say, this is how my body feels and this is my experience. And it's just, like, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, one of those, for me, that's really big is fatness and working with or thinking about and engaging with fat phobia and fat liberation, fat right. activism, because um people feign concern for health when they talk to fat people about their fat bodies saying like you're gonna get diabetes and heart disease and blah 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 but there's also something called the obesity paradox where if someone who is obese get or considered obese based on bmi which is like you can google that bmi is it was developed by insurance companies as Mm -hmm. another way to deny people coverage Um, And is not actually scientifically based whatsoever. But people who are considered obese tend to survive diseases better Uh, than people who are thin. Wow. So they might be more at risk for getting heart disease, but they're more likely to survive heart disease than a thin person that gets heart disease.
1: Damn.
0: So there there are things that we do not understand about... What fat does or does not do for the body, Mm -hmm. we really have no fucking idea. So people feign this concern for fat people's health, but they're just not interested in them aesthetically. Mm -hmm. I think it's very aesthetic. I think it's very shallow. I think that we were taught that this is how bodies should look by a barrage of of media of thin people and only thin bodies and no variation Mm -hmm. within those thin bodies either. Thin white bodies who are cis Who are hetero Uh who are have the appropriate musculature who have symmetrical faces and european features and blonde hair and blue eyes and straight noses and whatever Mm -hmm. so but the for me i'm really interested as a fat woman i'm really interested in the in what it means to to be fat in this world and how i can be healthy and move my body Without um, being criticized for being fat and without trying to lose my fat per se, that not being a goal of when I go to the gym or when I exercise or when I go hiking in nature, or when I you know try to strengthen my legs to be better at hiking, it's not necessarily to like lose the fat on my belly to be better at hiking. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> right. So I can go further and I can see more things. Right. And, that, and to experience more and that my body it's been a struggle
1: to still be whole in yourself <laughs> through all of these changes and all of this awakening of self, right? Because it's not a one-time experience, right? We're always constantly evolving. Because um, I'm sure the A2 probably came here, what, and was it 2014, 2015 did your study abroad? Wait, it was 2014, I think.
0: I think so too.
1: So when did you come back for the masters?
0: I came back for my masters in late
1: 2016. Okay. Dang. So you did it in your masters in two and a half years? Yeah. That's dope because U.P. will trap that ass.
0: (laughs) Yes, and it does that to a lot of people, but in addition to trapping people, I've realized through my program that a lot of people are taking care of their families, they're taking care of their elders, Mm. they're working full-time jobs, they don't have the privilege to dedicate themselves entirely to four classes a semester, five classes Uh a semester, which is what it takes to graduate in two years or two and a half years with a thesis.
1: Way
0: to just shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, La like does trap people, and people fall behind, and they get distracted, and that's all very valid and legitimate, but also it takes privilege to be able to dedicate yourself full-time to yeah. the university.
1: Um, I realized that when I got married, because my husband was like, oh. I wish I could have not had to work and go to school or like eventually he had to pick and obviously he picked work. Forgive me for ever thinking that I was really struggling, you know, because it's just like dang to really say, okay, I'm just going to focus on my school because yeah, me too. I did the master's in two years. I did a year teaching. And it was like, okay, this ain't what I want. Not that, it was Maria. I blame all, everything Maria. I'm allowed to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, to come back to the doctor, it was like, yeah working full-time I'm like I don't think it, this is really good for me and I always pick school I don't know if it's because I know I'm gonna eventually get ahead or safest option
0: I don't know if you can relate to this but my whole life my identity has been largely based around being a good student mm, Yeah. and a lot of the validation that I didn't get from my parents who were doing their best and mm-hmm. who were good to me and are good to me now and support me a lot but a lot of the validation that I didn't get at home, I sought in my teachers.
1: Yes. <laughs> and Damn, because so, I'm like, I'm not like a teacher's pet, but I have like my faves that I'm like writing, I'm like, I need to pick your brain, and I just like stick with like leeches to them. And, yeah. Um, and
0: being students from kindergarten to 12th grade for 13 years and then add on four years of bachelor's degree like the majority of our life the vast majority of our life has yeah. been based on a student identity yeah so it is so comfortable to be a student yeah it is. i'm mortified by the fact that i've just graduated like i'm already planning like when am i going to get my doctorate when am i going to go back to yeah. school because it is it is so so much it's once you once you leave school it's like Okay, are you going to become an academic or a professional? Yeah. And you kind of have to choose. And if you don't get a PhD, you kind of have to become a professional. Yeah. And so I'm very scared about, you know, what my translation business could look like. I'm part of a translators cooperative okay. in Puerto Rico called Tradu coop okay. we're just starting up we don't have our bank account yet like our tax ID or whatever there's mm-hmm. some we're missing some things and I joined kind of later in the program' mm-hmm. or later along because they got a some sort of scholarship from an incubadora of cooperativas here okay. at the university um, to start a cooperative. A translator's cooperative. But the idea is that instead of working like an agency. Where the owner skims the money off the top. We work collectively. And rotate. Or share. Who does emails. Who does the actual translation. Who does the editing. Who right. does the polishing. Who does the finances. And kind of rotate that. split it. And split profits evenly. That's
1: awesome. Like I think. That's, like, the new wave right now in Puerto Rico, especially after the hurricane of like, the cooperatives are coming. And a lot of funds are coming to help these small businesses get startups.
0: To speak to your concern about, <laughs> like, success or failure as a businesswoman, I think one cool thing about cooperatives is that they're an anti-capitalist way to work within a capitalist system. And capitalism pushes individual success and individual Mm -hmm. failure. And for the one individual to be accumulating capital, accumulating Mm -hmm. profits, thereby exploiting workers and Mm -hmm. paying them less than what they're worth in order to gain that profit. So I think the cooperative model is really cool in that it's a collective success or collective failure. And so instead of having to fall back on the university, you can fall back on, okay, well, we all failed. What are we gonna do now? Yeah. As a group, as a community.
1: Mm. In, in translation, what have you done in your projects?
0: My interest is in feminist translation. And so for my thesis, I translated a portion of a book called de la Negritud, Investigaciones Caribeñas by Mary Ramos Rosado. Which I translated as "Glimmers of Blackness," Caribbean research, and this text is a text in which the author is trying to link blackness in the Caribbean, link Puerto Rican blackness to blackness from Haiti and Guadeloupe and Martinique, and um, kind of foster these creations in this community um, through bomba y plena, for example, through literature. Um, and talk about the ways that these islands have influenced one another. The blackness, the individual blackness of these islands has influenced one another. As that's part of my thesis, these these essays are now available in English to African diaspora studies in the United States or globally, uh, and my author is free to use them however she will, Mm -hmm. to distribute them or do whatever she will with them um, completely for free. Obviously, it was my thesis.
1: I look forward to reading that. You can pass them on to me because for my research thesis and my masters, I focused on mommy water in Nigerian texts. And so I thought I was gonna kind of leave that topic alone and just like start something new for my PhD. With the topic of blackness? No, the mommy water Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> no, you can never erase that girl. <laughs> I was no, say. That's not going anywhere. Okay, okay. okay. But okay. this rituality, the mommy because she is a goddess of a sea, she's um associated with west africa and so she, she's not the same as Yemaya or oshun santeria they worship different Yoruba gods but they're not exactly the same because how they're practiced and how they have transcended over the waters you know there's an evolution right i wanted to once again leave the Mommy Waters subject alone, but keep kind of focusing African tradition, spiritualities, focusing uh, maybe in the gender roles in the Caribbean texts. How are women, especially Afro-Caribbean women, writing about themselves and representing us in the novels? How this goddess of the sea empowers these women or people who identify as women. I haven't read Maria Thomas' work, once again, because it's Spanish, um, so now that it's just translated, I can get those some of those essays until you could
0: read it just fine in spanish i know
1: i'm just so lazy (laughs) i
0: I wanted to say about the Mami wata when you were talking about how when you did your masters on the subject there was like nothing written about it and now all of a sudden everyone's writing about it Mm i read this book recently called the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible it's by some guy named charles eisenstein i know nothing about him but basically the thesis of the book is that um everything that we do if we believe in it it can have like miraculous impacts in the world Mm -hmm. and so i don't think it's mere coincidence that you did your master's thesis on this person and then everyone else starts to write about them not that they read your work or anything Mm -hmm. like that but i think that we can have really like unseeable spiritual connections to information and subjects and kind of uncover and bring to light these these people these figures um, that mean a lot to you, and mm. that's, that's like, my spirituality, yeah. is really believing that, like, we can do miraculous things even without without realizing it necessarily, and mm. I think that that's, it's not mere coincidence. Yeah. It's, you're, you're part of, like, the human hive mind, you mm. know, or something like that. Yeah, for true,
1: for true. Do you think, like, being in the Caribbean allows you to embrace that spirituality or, like, disbelief or... Were you always like that? Because I feel like me, like, connecting... I've always been a spiritual person, but I feel like I was able to uh, tap into it more living here because so many people are not really, like, constructed to, like, okay, the spirits are just these evil things, you know?
0: Well, I was raised Christian, and I was a strong, strong, strong believer until ninth grade, um i just i took a history class and she was explaining some of the historical things that happened in the bible she said that the area that noah lived in was prone to seasonal flooding but that every 10 to 20 years there would be a flood so bad that it may very well have appeared that the earth the entire earth was flooded and i was like what the fuck like it blew my mind that there might be some other explanation other than the matter of fact biblical explanation to these things and then I, my friend died, and then his brother was having a baby. His brother's wife was having a baby, um, and she passed away. They were gonna name her the same name as the brother that died. She passed away. I was like, "Fuck this, I'm atheist. <laughs> oh I don't believe in anything. There is no God. No one's looking out oh for my us. God. And and I think that there's something about the grind of of white America that it precludes the ability to be spiritually connected. Mm. And and capitalism, Mm -hmm. uh, heteropatriarchy, white supremacy, police violence, all of these things kind of um, prevent us from being spiritually connected, I think. Um, But also by the same token, motivate us to want to be spiritually connected to something. Mm. And I think that um, I have to credit the Caribbean with my interest in seeking out my spirituality mm-hmm. and I'm still not sure completely what it is right. um but there's something but definitely being able to escape that particular grind even though the Caribbean suffers from all of those things to a different extent it's just different Hell yeah it's just different it's yeah. not it's not better it's yeah, not worse it it's just like
1: intersectionality different and like those where we all connected in all of our different um Discriminations. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so shit yeah. Shout out to you for like breaking the mold and not thinking. You know what I'm saying? Like well them ma, you know what I'm saying? But I think once again because you once you have like a different focus and a different experience and though. I don't know, maybe it's because you're queer that you're like, fuck these boys <laughs> like <laughs> uh, I was gonna say something else. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like <laughs> But yeah, and then Do you have a poem
0: you're gonna share with us today? The author of this poem is Rosario Castellanos, and the title is Silence Near an Ancient Stone. It was translated into English by Maureen Ahern. I'm a woman sitting here with all my words intact like a basket of green fruit. The fragments of a thousand ancient and defeated gods seek and bind each other in my blood, straining to rebuild their statue. From their shattered mouths, a song struggles to rise to mine, an aroma of burnt resin, some gesture of a mysterious carved stone. But I am oblivion, betrayal, the shell that did not hold an echo from even the smallest wave in the sea. I do not watch the submerged temples. I watch only the trees moving their vast shadows over the ruins, Biting the passing wind with acid teeth And the signs close beneath my eyes Like a flower under the awkward fingers of the blind Yet I know Behind my body another body crouches And around me many breaths cross furtively Like nocturnal animals in the jungle I know that in some place Like cactus in the desert A clustered heart of thorns awaits a name as the cactus does the rain. But I know only a few words in the language or the stone beneath which they buried my ancestor alive. Damn. The first line, I'm a woman sitting here with my words intact like a basket of green fruit. I could always relate to, but because of my privilege, there are other parts of the poem. She's Mexican, Yeah. Rosario. That, that certainly are not mine to reclaim or to take hold of uh, in any way, but I am glad I got the opportunity to share her poetry yeah. with your listeners. Me too,
1: because I didn't know about her work, so now I can read some, so thank you. There's a
0: great anthology. It's called The Rosario Castellanos Reader. Okay. Most, almost all of it was translated by the same woman, Maureen Ahern, okay. um, and it has short stories, poems, uh, essays, and her play. And it's maybe like $20 on Amazon or something. I don't know.
1: Well, we'll definitely try to look into that.
0: It's in English for your lazy
1: ass. <laughs> <laughs> no excuses, <laughs> Lisa. Okay, darling. I will definitely check that out. Thank you. No more excuses. I need to have you hold and me accountable, but I'm not going to put that pressure on you because I know you need that break. But I know. Thank you so much. And how are you on your way, Yates?
0: Uh, I'm gonna tread lightly and let go of my sadness
1: yes I hope that we can continue to have this conversation uh, not with the mic on you know what I'm saying (laughs) Um, and just to continue to empower each other and I'm sure you'll inspire my wonderful listeners who are so faithful and so wonderful Um, can you tell them where they can maybe connect with you if you want them to connect with you
0: Uh, yeah you can find my private Instagram I'll probably add you though uh (laughs) At Yatesy Poo, Y-A-T-E-S-Y-P-O-O, Yatesy Poo.
1: Yes, send her love, but with consent. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Hey, um, this is Issa Cosette. on Issa's Way. Y'all be blessed.